Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. Well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the virtual world with Emery Skolkin, founder and principal at Nuance Strategies. A little background on Emery before we get going. Emery's passion is empowering people in their careers and personal lives. And for that reason, he loves working at Human Resources. At Vanderbilt's own graduate school of management, Emery concentrated on human and organizational performance, learning optimal ways to motivate, develop, and incentivize people to achieve business objectives and career satisfaction. Emery has experience conducting senior management level searches for Fortune 500 companies and is most proud of his ability to lead change and solve complex problems with creative thinking, especially important considering the current landscape we're in with oil and gas. On his free time, he writes jazz music and volunteers as a mentor to young business students. Emery, does that sum it up for you, buddy? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, the jazz music has taken a back seat a little bit. Okay. Um, but I'm definitely trying to help as many people as I can right now. Thanks that, for that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, it's, you know, that, that's quite the intro. And, and I got to say, you know, I applaud you for all the things that you're doing. And then the conversation we had when we first met, it was evident to me that you, you are super passionate about helping people achieve success. And so I think that was one of the reasons that attracted me to having you on the podcast. And, the, you know, oil and gas right now is obviously going through some unprecedented times with the double black swan event that we're experiencing. Um, but right now, I think people are, you know, grasping for some sense of optimism, hope, hopefully a bit of a plan that they can implement to help them get through what they're doing. And so it sounds like you, you know, you're certainly in a position to help people throughout the ecosystem with that. So it's, I'm interested in diving into this a little more, but before we get going, I want to highlight some neat technology provided by our new sponsor for the oil and gas onshore podcast. Technip FMC is continuing to transform the energy industry with a modular single line, high pressure hydraulic fracturing missile system. Their surface technology, Superfrac system is an onshore field proven technology that reduces iron connections and is easily configured to fit any frac pad design. Click the link in the show notes to discover more. And if you like coffee and you don't want to pay for it, I have a deal for you. Once this quarantine's over, I'm offering to pay for a coffee for anyone that leaves a review. I always enjoy engaging with my audience who are supporting the show. And if not, that's cool too. I'm extremely grateful that you're even listening to this bad boy. So Emery, a big shout out to our buddy, Ian Killo. How do you know Ian? Because he's the one who lined this up and I wanted to give him a plug because he's just a super good guy, very genuine, down to earth. But how do you know Ian? Ian and I knew each other in college. We both went to the University of Texas at Austin. Go yeah. Longhorns and welcome. Yep, of course. Got it. <laughs> like that. I always respected Ian's ability to, I don't know what it was that we, we just first clicked and we went through maybe a period of a few years where we didn't talk to each other and then just reconnected lately. And Ian's been 
a great friend to me throughout the years. So, yeah. Gotcha. So, did you guys take a class together? Or did you run into each other in a locker room at the gym doing jazz? Like, what? How did that? I mean, how did you guys meet? Because I mean, UT is yeah. a big ass school, so it's not right. like you just randomly threw a dart and said, "You're going to be my buddy." No, I. You know, all the times that I played jazz in locker rooms, that's, that's, <laughs> out, out of all those times, that wasn't one of the times. But I think we met. You know, I was considering doing a fraternity, and I think Ian was at some sort of pledge event. It had to do with something with the University of Texas at Austin. Honestly, I can't remember, but yeah, we lived in a, in a similar area, so I, I ran into him a lot. I got you. No, that's cool. He's a good dude. I met him, actually. So when I really started getting active on LinkedIn was, shoot, probably a couple years ago now, but I was flying to Denver, and you know, when, as a salesman, I go to a different city. I'm there for 48 hours. A lot of times, I may have one or two meetings, so there's a lot of free time, and so when I'm in Denver, I try to because everything's consolidated downtown and I have a lot of contacts from when I lived there, but you know, there's always like blocks of time. I'm like, well, I need to maximize my time. So I kind of was thinking, I was like, well, I've got quite a few followers on LinkedIn. I said, why don't I just throw out a prayer and say, Hey, if anyone wants to grab coffee while I'm in Denver, let me know. Well, I got a ton of messages, which, you know, and I'm super grateful for that. Someone wow. would even want to sit down with a silly Canadian to talk about whatever the hell is going on. But <laughs> I had some, I met some really interesting folks through doing that. And you know, one of them was Ian and another one actually had reached out was a David Ramsden Wood. If anyone out there knows who that is, I'm sure they do Mr. Hot Take of the Day. But anyway, those were two of the few people who actually responded and said, hey, let's meet up. And so I met up with Ian and he was on the drilling side. I'm on the drilling side. You know, he and so we just kind of caught up and we met for coffee. And the next thing you know, we're, you know, kind of keeping in touch. And and now from my understanding, he's down in Houston now. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so yeah, I just wanted to give some context there because, you know, again, just such a good guy and I really appreciate him reaching out and trying to connect us. And so anyways, well, I, I really like that idea of, you know, something that I try to encourage with my clients is this idea of a learning journey, right? Mm -hmm. When you're connecting with somebody, you don't know exactly how the dots are going to connect. You're just really approaching being in somebody else's presence with what I call appreciative inquiry, right? Okay. You're appreciative of, of their time, but you're also really curious to learn more about them. And so I think like, you know, you, you just throwing out something on LinkedIn is a really great way to get to know people. People reacted to that, obviously, with, with that appreciative inquiry. So that's cool that you've gone on those learning journeys. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way to put it. And it's, you know, it's always one of those where before you hit send on certain posts, it's like, you know, right away it's like the, the fear of that judgment it's like oh i wonder if someone's gonna say something but i've gotten over that and i feel like you know a lot of people who nowadays especially because we aren't able to meet for coffees well now slowly starting to but for that period of time where everyone was stuck in their house it's like how to expose yourself and continue to build that reputation and get in front of people and so sometimes you have to you have to put judgment aside and put yourself out there to test the waters and see how things go and so that was kind of the whole idea behind it but speaking of of yeah, so speaking of locations, I'm in Houston and you're in Seattle, is that right? That's right. Awesome. So I've been to Seattle once. It was beautiful. It was during the summer Yeah. because I had a sales meeting there and I actually went to the famous Starbucks Reserve Roastery on Pike Street, which was such a cool experience. Do you know where I'm talking about? I do. Yeah. Man, I got some cool shirts. Like I felt like such a tourist, right? Like I'm Canadian, American, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, going to the Seattle, like I'm a big coffee guy. And so I absolutely loved it. And I went to a gym there and worked out and 
running outside and stuff, but, but just such a neat city. So I'm curious, how long have you been there and what's it like living in Seattle? Is it, is it as rainy as what people say it is? No, that is completely overblown. That, okay. yeah, it really is. And I, I don't know where it really comes from. I did, somebody once told me that, you know, that's kind of what we tell people so that they don't move here. <laughs> and it's almost like when somebody asks you to go to grad school, you ask them three times. And if they ask a fourth time, you're like, okay, you're ready to really apply yeah. um, kind of thing. But no, I heard that in your opening for the show. I love coffee as well. I actually used to have I don't know if you've heard of a Yama Tower. Oh, I um, haven't. Do tell uh, it's, more. It, it's a cold drip system where you can extract more of the flavor out of the coffee. They're, Beautiful. I'll have to send it to you after the show. But anyways, yeah. living in Seattle is really great for people who love the outdoors. It's really great for people who obviously like the tech industry, like myself. There's a great music scene, art scene. And for the most part, especially in the summer, spring, some of the fall months, it's I say partly sunny, right? Yeah. It's not partly cloudy. It's mostly, you know, maybe a little rain in the morning. But I think that that myth is a little bit to what I've seen, like, too much, right? That it's always raining here. <laughs> well, speaking of myths, is it sleepless in Seattle? Is that true, too? <laughs> I've certainly been busy, but... Uh, <laughs> I value my sleep. I don't know about you, but I do. Yeah. I do now that I have kids and I've always been a big proponent of sleeping, but yeah, it's, I just had to put that out there. Cause isn't that like an old school movie sleeps in Seattle? I think so. And I, I can sense here a little bit. We might be vibing on the dad joke. Um, that is, <laughs> that is something that I take very seriously. Right. Yeah. Dad jokes are just part of my repertoire. So hopefully I'll have a chance to slip one in here. There you go. Please, yeah. yeah, please do. Cause that's, yeah, I've, I've got quite a few of them. My daughter just absolutely hates me for it, but it's a, she loves to hate it. You know, oh, I mean, it's not a dad joke unless somebody winces. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, well, tell me about, so, cause you're not from Seattle, right? You yeah. remind me again where you're from and, and what was it like growing up there? Yeah. Born and raised Houston, Texas, actually a fourth generation Houstonian. So I mean, and that's part of why I think we got connected is oil and gas and, and the Houston industry. Everything is linked to oil and gas, right? Yeah. When oil and gas is doing well, real estate does well. When oil and gas isn't doing well, then other industries suffer as well. And the whole city kind of revolves around the energy sector. But, you know, what I, what I really came to love about Houston is the people. I just found people to be so open, so warm. For me, especially getting involved with the Jewish community. I'm Jewish, and, and that was really important for me. Lived, I've lived in all areas of Houston, everywhere from you know West Houston to Montrose to West University, Brazewood Place, around Energy Stadium. Yeah. For those of us that used to remember the Astrodome. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, no, I, I, love, I love Houston. I feel like Seattle is my home right now, but my whole family's in Houston. I got you. And so is Houston, I mean, obviously you're on the tech side of things, which we can get into your career here in a little bit, but do you see a shift anywhere right now? Like, so obviously with tech, you got, you know, Silicon Valley, you've got Utah, you've got Seattle. I mean, I think I said Austin, but is Houston a hub at all for tech? Do you see that being a growing culture here or is it going to stick to the traditional areas that it's been for the last, you know, decade? Yeah, that's a good question because I do see some people moving to Houston recently, but if you're going to go with Texas, I think Austin is the tech hub. For sure. Um, yeah, I really think 
even Dallas, they've had some companies move their headquarters there, but Austin seems to me to be, I mean, it's a young city, it's a college town, it's, and it's where a lot of startups, tech startups specifically, I think are, it's getting, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like Little Silicon or Silicon 2, or there's some nickname for Austin that I can't. I, yeah, I do. I know what you're talking about. I've heard people reference it, but yeah, you know, there's, there's certainly a scene, but I think just in general, I think the whole U S like we're just tech in general is slowly is continuing to grow in my, my career has been like drilling operations, now podcasting a little bit of health and fitness. And so, but the tech world is certainly something that's extremely interesting to me. And actually I was on a podcast yesterday and I had the pleasure of getting on a podcast with Amazon Web Services and they've come out with an energy playbook. And so hmm. you're seeing a lot of interesting relationships being built in oil and gas with outside with Google, IBM, Amazon, yeah. um, you know, and, and so to have everything sort of slowly start to integrate together is extremely exciting. And I think going forward, oil and gas is going to be a Silicon Valley-ish industry. And by that, I mean, they're going to want to become tech companies who produce hydrocarbons. You know what I mean? Oh, especially because when you look at oil and gas, I almost think it's a problem with the nomenclature because oil and gas is not oil and gas. I mean, right. you're talking about pharmaceuticals. You're talking about, you know, all sorts of different industries that have implications for the health industry. I mean, anything that uses petroleum, gasoline, natural gas, and petroleum in itself could be solvents, fertilizers, pesticides, you know, even fragrances, plastic. I mean, who doesn't use plastic? So yeah, I, th I think it's inevitable that you're going to see a lot of technicizing, I guess is the word. I, is that a word? Like it it is know. now. We just made it. <laughs> Cheers just, to that. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're going to see a lot of of transition there, especially as we start to think, you know, who knows what will happen in the next election, but if renewables become a priority for the United States, then that could also change a lot of the industry as well. Well, you mentioned, you know, changing and I wanted to reference actually part of the, the energy playbook. I'm quoting this, but they're saying now Shell's business, so Shell, obviously everyone knows Shell, their business is now roughly 65% oil production and refining, but its preferable future for 2030 is for no more than a third to be oil related. And they're actually trying to become the largest electricity company by 2030. So again, there is a big shift. And so the demand for unique technology and outside relationships to be adopted is going to be important. So it's just, it's kind of off topic to what we were talking about today, but it's just interesting nonetheless, you know what I mean? For sure. So, for um, sure. but again, I want to, I want to get focused more on yourself here. So before your career, so you just recently graduated getting your MBA, is that right? Or how yeah. long ago was that? Yeah, that was in December. I finished in December 2019. Congratulations, man. That's huge. Yeah, thank you. And I got to throw it out to my team. We haven't really gotten to this, but my job job outside of my, you know, Nuance Strategies company is at Microsoft and they threw me a graduation party. No uh, way. We're, yeah, we're all work from home and my boss sent out graduation caps to <laughs> everyone on the team and they surprised yeah. me with a Zoom invite. And as you know, getting 14 people at the same time across 
time zones is a really big task. So I was just yeah. blown away by by that. But yeah, I went to Owen Graduate School. Just an amazing experience. Really, really fantastic people, professors, the yeah. things that I learned. And I, I focused really on the human organizational performance side of things, which got me into HR at Microsoft. And that's that's where I, I currently am. Wow, good for you. So I have a question on that front. So a lot of folks out there, A, are in debt to their eyeballs because of school. Yeah. Um, there seems to be two camps. And one camp seems to be quite a bit larger now than maybe in the past. Whereas, and by that I mean, there's a lot of people out there who have a big influence amongst social media and just the population in general say, you don't need school, hustle hard, work, you can achieve your dreams by not needing school. I'd rather see you put a hundred grand into creating a business than a hundred grand in, into school without any guarantee that you're going to come out the other side with any decent job. And even a lot of companies are creating educational proponents within their companies to help people learn versus needing that MBA or master's. What's your take on that right now? Yeah, I, you know, there's, who is the gentleman who about, I don't know what it was, five or seven years ago would pay students to drop out of college to start their own businesses. He would pay them $100,000. Oh, wow. Um, I've never heard of that, but that's... Created, I believe it was one of the creators of PayPal with alongside Elon Musk was Teal. What's his name? Peter? No, not Peter, Peter Teal. Yeah, yeah, no, I think, I think that, that might he's be... The, he's an economist. I don't know if that's him, oh, but... Okay, well, any, anyway, I... Looking back, I wish that I would have had my MBA before I founded Nuance. There was a lot of things that I would have done differently. Um, okay. But like what? Well, let's come back to that because I okay. want to answer your. I want to make sure I answer your question. Sure. Um, I think it really depends on your personal goals. I hate to give the typical consultant or grad school answer, but it really depends. Sure. Um, if, if you want to get an MBA in 30 seconds, learn to say it depends more. Um, <laughs> and I think for people who just feel that they don't know enough about their particular industry or they want to specialize or maybe like they want a, a pedigree to their name that's really important to them. To me, that wasn't as important. To me, it was learning about different aspects of business, how they interact, because I was a liberal arts undergrad. Yeah, uh, at University of Texas at Austin in the Plan Two program, and I didn't really know, you know, anything about business. And so for me, that was—I felt like it was important for me to get out of it what I wanted to get out of it. And I came there with the intention of really focusing on human organizational performance, as Vanderbilt had that program, and they were the only program really that was ranked in the top three for that specific thing with an MBA. So. If I had to give advice, it would be just know what you want to get out of it before you jump into, you know, whether it's entrepreneurship or that next career promotion or whatever your career path looks like. Yeah. If it can be a springboard for you, then that's a good thing. But talk to people, right? Go on those learning journeys. See, you can LinkedIn, speaking of technology, is the best source that you have for trying to get people to tell you about how they got to where they are, what they feel with you. And the best thing that you can do for ask, for asking anybody, anything is asking them for advice, right? Hey, I'm really looking for some advice here. I have this decision coming up. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's no, that's that's a great answer, and I think you hit something that needs to be highlighted is not being afraid to ask for advice. And yeah, and again, there's a gentleman out there that I wanted to mention. So David Ramsen, well, he's very controversial. Some people love him, they hate him, but what I tell people is like he's like the most willing. He's always willing to help. And anytime I've had a question or anytime I've messaged him, and he's the type of person that you'd think like he doesn't have the time of day for a lot of people because he's done you know whatever he's doing. But, but I say that to say like, sometimes you just have to reach out and say, Hey, I, I value your judgment. I really would appreciate hearing your advice on something. And a lot of times it's not necessarily to allow them to help make your decision, but it, it helps with perspective and maybe yeah. thinking about things that otherwise you wouldn't have thought about. And so that's one thing that I appreciate from him amongst other people that, that I sort of go to for, for advice, or at least, you know, to hear things. Cause ultimately if the more information you gather, it allows you to help de-risk a situation while then drawing your own conclusions to help bring clarity to the direction that, you, that you're that you trying to get to. Does that make sense? Oh, it definitely makes sense. I have a term that I use when I talk about going on these learning journeys with clients called risk management for your ego. And okay. the, idea, the idea is basically, because you mentioned risk, right? Yeah. And the idea is that you want to protect yourself from buyer's remorse, you want to protect yourself from making the wrong decision and thinking that you didn't do enough work up front. And so it's not only risk management for the output or the results, but it's also for how you feel about those results. It's risk management for your ego. So very I, interesting. Yeah, I totally, totally dig what you're saying. I, I agree with it 100%. No, that's such an interesting topic. But switching gears here, sure. it sounds like human resources to you is something that you've been passionate about obviously throughout your career, where does the love for human resources come from? And and has that always been something you knew growing up that you'd like to get into? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm trying to think of when it really started. I don't want to be like, I was born on a Tuesday in 1987, but I, I, I think I came to college with kind of an idealistic view of the world and I wanted to change the world. So that brought me into nonprofit. Wow, and good for you. When I, yeah, I mean, when I graduated, it was a bit of, it was still recovering from the 2008 crisis a little bit, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Again, was an idealist, wanted to change the world, and found myself in the nonprofit community. Realized that the aspect, and this is something that I I try to emphasize a lot, is that find what you like to do within that job, not about that job, but within that job. And the thing that within the job that I liked was empowering people. And so I thought, how can I just do that, you know, on a one-on-one basis? And that's yeah. been a, a theme for me. And it even started with tutoring. I worked at a great company called Choice Tutoring in Houston, Texas, and had a mentor named Amish, Amish Shah. And he took me under his wing and he showed me the importance of coaching and one-on-one interactions and trying to get the best out of your clients. And for that, I'm eternally grateful because it set me on a path of trying to understand, okay, if I were to just focus on that one thing within the job that I like empowering people, is there a job that does that thing? And that tend to be human resources. Wow. Um, Okay. and, And I ended up in recruiting a few years later, which was my, I call it my pre MBA because we were doing a bunch of searches across industries and functional areas. And I just really, really enjoyed that aspect of the people side of business, I think. 
Interesting. So with regards to human resources, how is how has that changed over the years? Has there been a, a mindset shift or a culture shift with the way human resources position themselves within organizations? Yes, definitely. And I think you have to point to big data. Okay. I think you have to point to people analytics. I think you have to point to technology, going back to technology, thinking about how companies can leverage their data to make sure that their employees are satisfied, make sure that they're happy. You know, there's a theory out there called the five-legged stool. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's basically... No, I'm writing um, that down, the five-legged stool? Yeah, the idea is that you have a, a stool that can last and stand with stability on three legs, but once it gets two legs, you're wobbly, right? And, mm -hmm. and you don't have enough pillars to stand on. And so at least, you know, for most companies, those include things like your total compensation package. But that's really one of the last things that people really care about. They care about not really their pay. They care, care about their experience with their manager, their sense of belonging, yes. their, you know, the extent to which they're recognized, right? And so each of these are pillars of a stool and you're never going to get all five exactly balanced, right? But if you have at least three that are really strong, then you can rely on those. And so I think organizations are now thinking, you know, yes, we have to be competitive with pay, but we have to leverage our own data to know how satisfied our employees are, how much they are, you know, aligning with this five-legged stool kind of concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. So how, like you were saying, a lot of it depends so on happiness. Let's just start there. Yeah. So someone is in a company, how right. does human resources you know, aside from making sure that the compensation is competitive to attract people because mm -hmm. a lot of people like money, how do you then quantify once you've acquired talent, how do you quantify the level of happiness yeah. in hopes to increase retention amongst the talented folks that add super amounts of value to the company? Boy, you know, if I could answer that, I, I don't know where I'd be. I, I think that is the question, Justin. Yeah. And of course, you have tools like surveys, right, that, that a lot of companies can put out. Try not to, to do it just once a year, but pulse surveys so that you're doing it on a maybe a, a biweekly basis or a monthly basis to see how your employees feel about your organization. Right. And then when you're asking those questions, I think it's really important to think of the wording of those questions and how open-ended they are and, and how engaged, employee engagement is a big thing that a lot of Companies will track, right? So here, so here, in, in my thoughts, is is the future yeah. of human resources, and I might be thinking Jetsons here, but I feel like a lot of surveys, you know, and, and I always find it funny. You have an annual review, right? Yeah. Or like, it, and then I do at my company, and it's like, how valuable is that, and how relevant is that? Because I might have had, I might have gotten, I don't know, in a fender bender on my way to work, and that has totally skewed my judgment and level of happiness at that time. And if all of a sudden I got in an argument with a coworker at work, well, you can't use that one tiny snapshot in time no. to give a general idea of how happy I am at work because it's everything. It's ups and downs, peaks and valleys. But if I think if somehow in the future you could have a wearable or something to be able to like real time monitor stress levels, dopamine levels, and like somehow like track that like amongst the workday, mm. sleep, HRV, like I know I'm going way over the board here, but no, I think I'm, like that I'm would laughing. be, 
I'm laughing because I, I see it as like really, really, there's a lot of potential there, but it could also be an HR nightmare in terms of, <laughs> of confidentiality of data, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you run into. Is, I got you. Is this, is this big brothery, right? You never want, you never want someone to feel that they're at an organization being watched, right? I remember when social media came out, there was a big debate, should we track social media on people's computers at a company that has, you know, more than 50,000 employees, that could be a lot of productivity lost, right? And I think sure. a lot of companies landed on, no, it's probably not a good idea to track that because it makes employees feel like their every move is, is kind of being watched a little bit. Yeah, no, it's in certainly those are high hopes of what I'm talking about. But, but it's there's certainly challenges that, that come along with that. But I think that's the, you know, the key to the kingdom is being able to somehow quantify people's happiness within the organization. And I'm sure people are working towards that. But it's just, it's always yeah. something that even myself and my company, I talk to with coworkers and people who work underneath me and, and just to it's just an it's an interesting topic. And I think with the ability to capture data and you know, how we end up doing that is, you know, who knows. And then with that also comes this whole working from home shift, right? Yeah. So, so from that perspective, how is that sort of, from your point of view, do you think companies are going like, and human resources are going to allow that more? Like I heard Twitter now is basically told everyone to work from home indefinitely. Where do you see that fitting into the near future and maybe long term? Boy, yeah, I think that companies are starting to figure out that, hey, you know, some some of these services where you feel like you have to be in person, they don't necessarily have to be in person, right? Do yeah. we have to fly somebody out there to be face to face? Or could we save that money and use it elsewhere? I think that you're going to see a lot of permanent shifts with regards to working from home. Some people like it, some people don't like it, but at least giving the option to do that, I think is going to be important almost as a perk for employees as they quote unquote return to their workplace. And I say return to their workplace because it's not returning to work. A lot of people use that term, Yeah, returning to work. No, you're working at home. And in fact, for a lot of people, it's harder. You've got kids, you've got, I mean, you know, Justin, right? I mean, sure. you've, you've got everything distraction wise that can take your attention away from work. How do you carve out a space? And, you know, for someone like me, I would actually prefer to be in the office. And yeah, likewise, uh, it's, it's been an interesting time working from home for me because I have been in the office once. I started at Microsoft in March oh. and that was right around the time that COVID, you know, hit. And so that to me is just, it's been an, it's been an unconventional start, but also a huge shout out to Microsoft in how they are making me feel invested in. I mentioned the graduation party. My team yeah. is incredible. And I just feel really blessed to have that in my life right now. But I know that some people are finding it a lot harder. So mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have to see, we'll have to track that one uh, yeah. on, on working from home. There you go. No, that's, that's great. So well, let's talk a little bit about nuanced strategies. That's something I, I referenced at the beginning. I know we've gone off on some talent and some tangents, which is my fault, but interesting conversation. Nonetheless. Not at all. So, yeah. so you've obviously taken the entrepreneur route. You started your own gig. Tell us about nuanced strategies and what that is and, and how you're tying that into the ecosystem of the stuff that you're talking about. Right. And so nuance for me was started. I mentioned that I got into HR with a great 
firm called the Alexander Group in Houston, specifically within a division of the Alexander Group or a separate entity called Alex and Red, which was kind of a, a startup in a way. And it exposed me to how recruiters think about recruiting. And I really wanted to be a part of the candidate's journey more than the company's journey, I realized as I was a recruiter. And that involves really being incentivized by the candidate, having a candidate as a client instead of a company as a client. And I knew that if I started Nuance Strategies, or at the time, I was going to call it the Skulkin Group. Okay. Um, and, and the way that I, that's another story, the way that we called it Nuance Strategies. But you know what we what we do at Nuance is we try to focus on the candidate and increase their employability. Uh, nice. That is their, you know, we don't we don't guarantee placement like maybe a headhunter might. And right now we found that a lot of people are finding that recruiters are overwhelmed with thirty plus million people out of work, and that's just people that have filed for unemployment. There's probably probably oh. going to go up, Man. right? Yeah, um, and so they don't have the ability to necessarily place them. So what is the job search strategy playbook that somebody uses? What are some proprietary methods that someone can use in order to get to that next step in their career, even in a down market? Where are the opportunities? How should I reach out for these opportunities? That's what Nuance Strategies is about. And I found that our clients really appreciate the being a sounding board, I always say that I'm your caddy. You know, I can tell you how far away the green is. I can tell you what club to use and and what obstacles to look out for. Hey, there's water coming up on the left, but you got to yeah. take that shot. You got to play the court. What a neat analogy. And when you're talking about this, all I can think of is is you with it with a t-shirt on that says hashtag for the people. You know what I mean? Like you're, yeah, you're like, <laughs> like that's, that's, but, the, but I feel like, you know, you being there as like a mentor and a guide, I think often is, is not there. And so my question for you is, is I would imagine, you know, you spend, so, well, let me ask you this. Are you, when you, when you're dealing with your clients and stuff, are you like day to day mentorship? Or are you just there as a resource where when they ask questions, you can answer them? Like what is yeah. logistically, how, what does that look like? Yeah, I think it depends. Sorry. I, oh, no, no, that's I, fine. It sli- no, it slipped out. My MBA slipped out. I told you it depends is something that's been like ingrained in me. Uh, <laughs> but but it's, it's a case-by-case basis because some people will just say, hey, I know exactly what I want to do. I just need help polishing up my materials. Other people will say, I just don't know which direction I want to go in. And for those clients, right, we have different strategies for for how we would approach that. Um, okay. So yeah, it's it's so it's really it, again it just depends on the person and but is there like a limit for how much they can you know leverage your you know your knowledge and experience and mentorship because I would imagine if you're you know assuming you know whenever you go back to the office or to back to the job site you know I I would be wondering like if if you all of a sudden scale up to a position like how do you how do you scale that model because it sounds like you're not only just providing a service but you're providing the full experience right but by that it, it takes man hours to be engaged and to, to give people that time so how do you how would you then do that or are you okay with like kind of the volume of work you have now and that's what you're focused on or can you touch no, on that i always say i try not to ever turn away a client unless they don't feel like they want to put in the work i mean for me 
again, it's, it's, I'm the caddy, right? But you've got to practice. You've got mm-hmm. to, you've got to put in the work. So um, of course. I think scaling wise, there's a couple of new, really exciting offerings that Nuance is, is going to put out probably in the next couple months. And those will be online courses that ah. where basically I don't have to be in person to teach people something, you know, outside of work hours or, or for me, my office hours or a webinar or one-on-one on the weekends, right? I tend to be booked in that, in that regard, but okay. I would love to leverage technology. Again, it all comes back to how can you leverage technology to say, hey, our time together is just about what questions you have, but here's a video, here's a course, here's an outline for how you should think about these things. If you have questions, let's set up time to talk. I think that's how I would scale it. Yeah, no, that's excellent, man. So what would you say the biggest advice is for individuals who are trying to navigate the rough waters? Are, are, are there any, you know, like nuggets that people can take from this conversation? Any action items that you think would be worth mentioning? Yeah. And let, maybe let's keep it specific. People who don't have a job currently who just got yeah. laid off. Let's just like, because obviously everyone's case is so different. But assuming you're laid off, you know, perfect example. I got a good buddy. His name is Bobby Rank. A big shout out to him. He lives up in PA in oil and gas for a long time, thought he was safe, boom, gets laid off. And he's texted me the other day, and bear with me, I'll, I'll read it. And I'm sure he doesn't mind me mentioning because I'm giving him a plug, but a great salesman up in the in the Northeast area. So, but hold on, bear with me. Well, while you're searching for that, I actually have something I could talk about if, if you're open to for me to talk about something that I think would be a good key takeaway for somebody who doesn't have a position right now and looking for a role. Yeah. So I, I did found, so basically, okay. he, so, and, and we'll touch on that cause I want to play with that a little bit, but sure. um, he said, man, I've applied for so many jobs. I have to make a spreadsheet to keep track of them. And I said, Hey man, keep applying. It's a numbers game. Now, of course I'm not in human resources. I'm just going off of my thought. And he said, well, I'm over 42 so far. I said, well, you need to be more like zero for a hundred and maybe you'll end up being, you know, 10 for a thousand, you know, like just kind of, kind of, playing with him a little bit there, but that's, you know, but, but that's real. Like people are at home yeah. literally firing off resumes yeah. to like hundreds of people or hundreds yeah. of different employers. So, so anyway, going back to what you were thinking, like this is a real case. And this dude has a family of four, I think four, you know, his wife's depending on him. Like he's got a family to provide for. And yes. this dude's sitting at home firing off resumes, hoping for the best. So for people like that, what's your thoughts? You asked me a great question. Because, and I'm not going to answer with it depends. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to give you, and to anyone who's listening, if you're in that situation right now, it's going to take work. But I would slightly disagree with you, Justin, that it's a numbers game. Okay. Um, and that's to me where people can get really discouraged. If you're firing off 42 resumes, it might be something with your process that is a little bit different and can be tweaked to give you better results. Okay. Um, and I would point to the Granovetter study. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Granovetter study. In- How do you, the Granovetter study? Yeah, G-R-A-N-O-V-E-T-T-E-R. Granovetter. I think Mark Granovetter okay. uh, was a gentleman in the 70s, did a study and interviewed only about 50 some odd people about how they got a job. It's The title of the study is called Getting a Job. Mm-hmm. And it is since been cited in academic research over 20,000 times. I mean, this article oh, wow. just 
just revolutionize social psychology in something that we call the strength of weak ties. And the idea is that if you get a job, what he found was 85 plus percent of those people got a job through a warm connection, not through just sending out their resume, which to us, that's not the obvious. That is obvious. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But what was really significant about the study was that out of those 85 plus percent, over half, I believe, only occasionally met the person that gave them an introduction, and a third, rarely if ever, maybe once in a few years, had met the person. That's how he t- coined strength of weak ties. So, so you know, that's that's interesting. You mentioned that, and I maybe and I need to reach out back out to Bobby because I've had a lot of people reach out to me asking, like, especially new grads, being like, "Hey, you know, any advice? I know oil and gas is down." So. I think I was quick to answer and just kind of, you know, whatever, but, but I think like things that I've and correct me if I'm wrong and, and we can keep going down what, what you're, cause this is obviously your expertise, but I want to see if what I'm telling people is, is okay or whatever, like kind of what you yeah. think, but like, you know, networking as much as you can, you know, engaging mm-hmm. with people on LinkedIn, offering to buy them coffee to, to just to help build relationships and then don't just don't try and go to like the big majors like BP, Shell, Exxon. Yeah. Like there's so many, there's service companies that are doing some really neat stuff and then, you know, doing research to find out about different companies and what they're doing. And then, and then for one thing I've told people is like, read as much about the oil and gas industry because there's a lot of free resources with regards to news articles to help keep your finger on the pulse of the industry. Because if you can have a good knowledgeable conversation about the current events, supply and demand, who's doing what, that kind of like gives you a little bit, I would think a little bit of credibility. When I'm talking to customers, for me in my position in business development, if I can speak on, on topics that directly impact what they're business initiatives are or something that surrounds their dealings, to me, it, it just creates great conversation and, and builds that level of like knowledge, which is obviously important. And then, you know, volunteer, offer to work for free for somebody. I mean, I don't know, you never know, you add some value for them and they don't pay you the next thing you know, they want to pay you for your service. So those are some yeah. of the things that I've done. Now, again, you have a playbook and something that, and I want you to touch on the things that you would do, but, but am I, giving people at least decent advice or am I just, do I need to reach back out to these people and tell them that I'm full of shit? (laughs) (laughs) I think that you're on the right track. I mean, I think networking has become a dirty word and it's really more about relationship management. Um, And and I hate to get into semantics here, but going back to the Granovetter study, it's the people that you barely know that are more likely for to give you your, your next position. Okay. So how do you leverage that? Well, all comes back to technology. That's been a theme for our talk today. You can use LinkedIn to click on that second degree connection button and see who your mutual connections are. And I'll give you a really great example, Justin. Let's say that you get a text from a number that you don't know, right? Hey, this is Charles and I'd love to hang out this weekend. Are you free? How are you going to react to that? If I didn't know the guy or if I didn't know You don't even know the number. I would just ask him if he likes to party. Okay. I would say that's unusual, but I think most <laughs> I think most people, you know, would probably ignore the text or say, "Hey, who is this?" right? right. Um, I have a really funny so this is funny. So you you mentioned someone randomly yeah. messaging. So I had someone <laughs> This is funny, man. I, I had someone it. I had someone reach out to me 
probably about a year ago. And he said, Hey, this is David, Justin. Dude, this is ironically weird because this has happened. So Hey, this is David, you know, when's the next time we can hang out or something to that effect. And I did respond normally. I was like, and I thought I knew who it was, but I didn't, it was like, well, maybe he changed his number. And so he, I was like, ah, man, like, you know, maybe I'll swing by the shop and come say hi or whatever. And it proceeded into a very weird conversation because he was acting like he knew me and I knew him, but then he was, he followed through with trying to and how do I say this without being too explicit? Like basically he was like coming on to me and, yeah. it, and so, it, okay. and then, and then sent a picture and he's like, and I said, and I thought he was kind of joking. So then I thought it was a friend playing a joke on me, but then he continued to try and talk to me and then proceeded before I ignored the thing to like, send me some pictures of himself. And I was like, what? So like, yeah, I, what I, going on? yeah, it was so <laughs> strange. And so if you get random numbers, it's fun to play with, you know, play on the conversation, but be careful. Cause if you start talking too much and you may get yourself into a squirrely situation <laughs> like I did. Well, I think that that's the exception, not the rule, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think your point is, is valid, right? Like be careful, right? Because you yeah. don't know this person. Now, yeah. what if, what if, you know, we had had this talk or who's your best friend, one of your best friends, Let's just go with Nate. Nate. Okay. Nate says, hey, this guy Charles is going to text you. He's a master of podcasting, and I think you should talk to him. Here's his number, right? Now you get that same text. Hey, this is Charles. Do you want to meet up for coffee? Right. What are you going to do? More than likely respond and you know, meet carry up through conversation. Yeah. So, And it's funny because we know human nature. If you have an established trust bridge, it just makes sense to like, oh, I'm not going to message him out of the blue. I'll just message Nate because Nate knows this guy. Yeah. Right. But when it comes to our career, we think that if we fire off 42 resumes, like your friend, he has maybe what I would call a shotgun approach where you're just firing off resumes and not necessarily targeted as to what his networking strategy might be. And right. I, I don't, I don't know his specific situation. It could be that he, you know, it is a down market right now. And, but I would say just applying online isn't leveraging what the Granovetter study shows us, which is the strength of weak ties is real. And that wow. you, you really can warm up a connection with an established trust bridge before you even huh. reach out, you're already more likely to get that job. So, right. um, you know, what we try to do at Nuance Strategies is, hey, what is your relationship management strategy? What is your outlook on how you're going to reach out to the right people? We have some proprietary methods to do that. And it, it ends up being better for our clients because they, they feel empowered. They know how to approach a down market. Whereas otherwise, you know, it almost feels like you're grasping at straws. You don't necessarily get results. And after 42 resumes, you start to get, you know, disappointed. Yeah, no, that's a, hard. that's a, that's a great point. And I certainly need to get back with him and then maybe elaborate on, on a conversation we're having, cause this won't get released now for a few weeks, but what I mean, for folks that are out there who've lost their jobs, who are literally, you know, trying to manage their finances to put food on their table, um, yeah. that don't necessarily have the financial ability to, to pay for services. And I have no idea what that looks like for you and how you've structured that part of it. But I mean, can people still utilize services? And I, and I guess if you Google, there's probably lots out there, but, yeah. but it, it's something like something, and you don't have to get into specifics, but 
is, are your services like reasonable for people that are still struggling or are you more like C-suite people or like kind of who do you cater to, I guess is my question. Yeah, that I love that question because it allows me to talk about why I started this business in the first place. And I, I think you can sense that I'm really passionate about helping people. And so, you know, I got to shout out to Ian Killo again. You know, we've been working together a little bit to think about like, he's been helping me brainstorm some really great opportunities when it comes to never turning anyone away. You know, I have mm. clients where I have a sliding scale. So that's number one. If they're facing tough times, we have something called the income contingency program, where if they're not able to pay now, what they can do is pledge a certain amount of their paycheck in the future. And then I don't get paid until they get paid. Okay. You know, I don't get paid until they get a job. I don't know too many people that are doing this because it takes all the risk up front, right? Because we could put eight or nine hours into a client and they're still looking, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. in a down market, but it allows me to help people. It allows me to empower people. And you started off the show by saying, hey, you know, some people are losing hope. Some people, some people are not feeling empowered right now. And even if I can just give them a process, if I can give them an idea of where they should be looking, I think that they're better off than before, right? Yeah, no, um, that's, that's exactly, that. that's such a good point, man. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So well, yeah, I would encourage, and, and anybody who is listening, I would encourage you look at my LinkedIn profile. My email is on my LinkedIn profile. You can always shoot me a question and I'll answer, you know, within one business day. So yeah, um, I would love to help anyone out. Yeah, no, that's serving others and helping people is certainly, you know, what's needed more now than ever. And so, you know, again, I applaud you for doing what you're doing with Nuance Strategies. I think that's fantastic. And hopefully it continues to grow and, and you never know what the future holds. But I want to respect your time. I know we're coming up an hour here, but before we close out, I like to end the podcast with a couple of questions, two or three more on the personal side of things. But sure. for you, when's the last time you've tried something for the first time? And it can be anything. Yeah. Does anything come to mind? Something for the first time. That is, and, and, I, and, and I if, love this. And yeah. if you, and if nothing comes to mind, I encourage you just to think about it because I think as, as we grow up and we, we, we age, we get so comfortable in, in doing the things that we're comfortable with. But as a child, think of like for the first 10 years of your life, it's so everything's magical and it's fun and it's exciting and it's new. Right. But you really don't, try something for the first time as we get older and it's very rare. And so I always like to tell people like, Hey, you know, bring the excitement back to life and do things that you've never done before. And, and ask yourself that like every once in a while, when's the last time I've tried something for the first time? So you again, know, I, like if you yeah, have something, if not, I do. Okay, I do. okay. I drove a boat this summer. There you um, go, man. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And it was just so freeing. I mean, the wind in your hair and, and you have people that are, you know, in the boat with you having a good time. Lake Washington is gorgeous in the summer. And it was just a short time. But I remember thinking like, huh, like this is really nice. Yeah, yeah, good for you. See, I yeah. knew you had something, man. It was funny. I interviewed someone yesterday. And they thought and thought and thought and like, you know what? And he was telling me about creek water, which is this new drink that supposedly is like kind of catching wind here in Houston. But uh -huh. it was like, yeah, whether it's an alcoholic drink or going on a boat ride and driving a boat, like you never know, but you got to keep life exciting, right? I love so, it. 
Yeah. So another one here is what's something, and actually let's talk about that. The last one of the questions I had is what's something about you that not many people know about? You said you're into jazz. Where has that come from? Or do you have something else that's super unique that you want to share to the podcast world? Huh. I, (laughs) the jazz part comes from me always being interested in music. And, uh, but I think something that Sometimes people know, and I sometimes get to tell this story. It's a longer story, but I actually accidentally once cut my finger off and had it reattached. Whoa! Um, yeah. Holy <laughs> so, shit, dude! Yeah, tell us about that, man. So I was, you know, it's always something really mundane. It, it was just like me cutting some plastic for a plant. At the, you know, plants need water holes. Yeah. And so I had this big can of mixed nuts and I flipped it over and I was selling Cutco knives at the time, Vector Marketing. Yeah. Um, and these knives are sharp. And in the demonstration, you cut through a penny, you cut through leather, ropes. So oh, I'm like, oh, God. plastic, not a big deal, right? And I was by myself and I just sliced right through my finger. I mean, like how far? Like the whole thing it was, or like it half was, of it? It was into the bone dangling, yeah. Oh, God. Not, 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 sorry for all the listeners that are squeamish, but no, it was a long journey to get my thing. I mean, you can see it here. It's back. It doesn't Um, look different at all. Yeah, but you can kind of see the scar. Oh, right there. there, Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. I I call it my Zorro scar because there's a Z that that he had to. um, Man, that's crazy. So, and again, we probably could go down the the story even further, but like. So you cut your finger. What did you do? Did you wrap it up and rip to the hospital and then they sewed it back? Or like, what happened? You know, to this day, I wish that I had the call to 911. I think you have five years to request that call. But I know that I was in shock because I was asking about like, hey, do I have time to do laundry before the EMTs arrive or... You no know, way. Oh, I was just, and, I, and when they came in, I invited them in. I said, what should I bring, you know, to the ER? And they're like, dude, you cut your finger off. You need to go. Like, you yeah. know, and it just so happens the day before I had donated blood um, oh, at the University of Texas at Austin. And all the EMTs were laughing because I was wearing a shirt that said, I go to UT, I bleed orange. Oh my and, God. And there was blood all over my shirt. You know, the EMTs has a different type of sense of humor. And it was one of those moments where you're like, is this really happening? Did I really like, you know, I'm looking at my finger for the first time and I'm, it's not bending, right? Oh it's my not, God. Tendons aren't attached. I cut through nerves and arteries. And anyway, I know that's not what you wanted to talk about on the podcast, No, that's cr- yeah. So did you, how did you prevent yourself from, like, how did you save your, save the finger? We found a great microsurgeon. Dr. Sharma in Austin, and he, I went through six or seven hour surgery to reattach everything. Holy schmoly, dude. That's insane. Yes. Crazy. Yes. Well, that, that was a neat one. I wasn't expecting that, but Hey, look again, I got a few other things I want to mention before we close out. I'd like sure. to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming OGGN events. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that. 
and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Awesome. Thank you so much. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape for summer coming up here, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Man, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or to get to know more about Nuance? Yeah, I hey, I have no problem giving out my number here if, sure. you, if that's a good idea. Or so what, what or we can do email. is I'll put those two in the show notes. Um, yeah. That way people can just scroll and check it out. But if you want to fire them off verbally here, that's totally fine. Sure. Just shoot me an email at emory, E-M-O-R-Y, at nuancestrategies.com. Uh, and, or you could shoot me a text 832-368-6344. Awesome. Well, I will be putting those all in the show notes. I'll also put, do you have a website? Yeah. www.nuancestrategies.com. And that, that website, we should be changing, you know, some of the stuff on the website in the upcoming weeks here. So exciting changes coming soon. Excellent. Well, look, it's been a pleasure and Again, thanks for everything you're doing, and I hope to keep in touch. And always remember, everybody, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Ooh-wee! Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.